Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Jenna Morton. And I'm Tosh Taylor. And on today's show, we have a guest that you have seen on the show, but I'm pretty sure it was during the pandemic the first time. Mm -hmm. We have Carolyn Dubay with us today. Carolyn is the Executive Director of Fertility Matters Canada. Last time we spoke with you, we spoke about your fertility journey. You have three beautiful boys. Mm -hmm. um, today we're gonna talk about kind of life after that. But first, let's tell everybody about the journey in the in the short form and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So, uh, thanks for having me back. I, uh, my husband and I, sort of did what society tells you to do. We got our educations. We had our jobs. We met. Um, we got married. Bought a house and a car, and then of course tried started to try to have a family, and it wasn't happening. Um, all of that to say I had had a manager who had educated me on reproductive health early in my 20s and because of that conversation I was able to um, kind of identify quickly that maybe this is something we should talk about with our doctor. Uh, thankfully we did end up with male infertility issues, did IVF uh, or fertility treatment and have uh, we now have three boys, one is nine and our twins are four. Wowza. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> and, it's, and it happened over like how long of a period mm. of time? So the whole time, uh, sort of from start figuring out that, like starting to try to have a family to the birth of our first was about two and a half years. Okay. And then another addition, there's five years between my eldest and the twins. So eight years. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Which mm -hmm. is a very fast timeline for a lot of people in the fertility mm -hmm. world. Definitely. Especially yeah. when you're adding multiple children to your family, that's relatively and we know how fortunate we are because not everybody who needs to access fertility care will actually um, come home with a baby at the end of the day. Can you talk a little bit not just about your story in particular mm -hmm. but in general that idea of you know where we are with Fertility Stuff in Canada and how you ended up in the role you are with the organization? Sure. So this conversation is actually really timely. Yesterday new data from the World Health Organization has come out um, previously, we had said one in six couples globally and in Canada experience fertility. And of course, it's not just heterosexual couples that experience or need access to fertility care. So yesterday, um, we now have new data from World Health Organization. One in six people worldwide are uh, in need of fertility care in order to build their families. So it's really pre prevalent when you think about your social networks, I'm sure, whether or not actually you've, you know people, I know both of you have people and stories within your own lives of people who have struggled. Um, and even if, for viewers, if you don't, with a statistic like one in six people, um, certainly there are people mm. that you work with who are in your family, who are in your friends circle that uh, are struggling. The reason I am where I am today, I've been the director with FMCs for eight years and we were living in Halifax at the time. Uh, my son, my eldest was born and I became, I started advocating there because I wasn't able to access a lot of support online that was, that sort of felt um, like the community that understood what I was going through. And fertility, we had a medical issue that is not covered. We didn't have healthcare coverage for this disease that we had. We live in a country where we cover disease. So I started advocating and working with the local clinic. And then um, my husband actually was in the military at the time. We were transferred to Montreal while I was on um, maternity leave. 
and this job um, came up when we were living in Montreal. Their home base was actually in in Montreal and the manager that I had had many years ago who was educating me on my reproductive health as a young 20-something had said, hey Carolyn, this job has come up and I think you should apply. It's very full circle and I will be ever forever grateful for her. So this organization, FMC, has been around for over 30 years and uh, so we are able to provide support and education and do advocacy work on behalf of every Canadian who needs access to care. Amazing. Mm -hmm, that is very full circle. It wow. It is very full yeah. circle, yeah. <laughs> it's very like full circle of life. I am, I, that is not lost on me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So with uh, FMC, there um, is many different avenues and you've just, and I want to talk about it quickly, you just released a podcast that mm -hmm. I have to tell people it is an absolute must listen to because you are interviewing so many different aspects and as someone who, like you said, it's one in six, but I at least knew or know people who are going through it. I didn't realize how many different avenues and different ways that people could start a family yeah. or not start a family. So uh, I want to thank you for doing that podcast because I think whether it's someone dealing with it themselves or if it's a friend, um, then you can educate yourself or a family member, you can educate yourself on how to properly talk to these people um, or to help in any way that you can or to just understand their journey. Absolutely. So our podcast is called Fertility in Focus. Um, and we're actually working with Tosh on that on that program. So thank shameless you, Tosh. Plug. It is a total <laughs> shameless plug. But truly, you have helped elevate. Um, and I appreciate um, you saying that because for people who uh, who may not be walking this path, who may have not gone through a fertility journey, listening to the fertility experts that we interview and the different patient stories is so impactful. And it really can help you understand how to better support someone um, in your life, um, whether or not they're currently, you know, you're currently connected with them or someone who may come um, into your life, uh, it, it really does help paint that picture. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about <clears throat> what it's like in your family right now and what kind of conversations you have with your boys mm -hmm. around fertility and families and, and how that plays into your family dynamic? That's a great question. Um, so it's so interesting. We've always been very open about with our boys about, um, you know, it, sort of that conception story was easy because we actually could say the doctor created you in a dish and put you inside my belly. So that was always very easy. Um, but what's so cool is because we've had those conversations and my eldest is nine and for he's very intuitive on these things and says he he understands that families are built differently so not everybody for example you don't just need to have a mom and a dad who are married to have a baby because we do support and and fertility care is for everybody so he understands that if you're a single person and you don't have a sperm and an egg because he does know what those are now um, that you can go to a doctor and there are supports and that's what I help do that um, that that you can have a baby and create a beautiful family whether or not you have a partner you just might be missing a few pieces you may be a same-sex couple two men who need a, a belly and an egg from someone to give to give that um, that gift to you so we have those conversations very openly my twins are still to, they run, they're too chaotic to sort of focus on those conversations at this point of their life. But um, it's really important. It's important to, to, 
sort of destigmatized because there is so much stigma and shame. It's very challenging for someone who has been um, diagnosed with infertility to talk about it. I mean, you both know me. I am very type A. I'm very vulnerable. I'm very, I share a lot. But when we had this diagnosis, I shut down for a good six months and told nobody. Mm -hmm. And it was really, looking back now, I think, oh my gosh. So if that was impacting me that way, I can only imagine the impact on other people who aren't as open or who don't have as close family and friend networks and those types of things. So um, it's really important for us to continue to have open conversations because it's 2023. And this amazing medical technology exists and we are able to build amazing families. It is very expensive, um, but the more people can use their voice uh, to share, it makes the loneliness, the isolation, those feelings that come along with a fertility journey, um, it makes the people that are walking that path feel much less alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now that I, we're using the term life after, but like you are still very much in it. And mm -hmm. I find from, like you said, working on these podcasts with you, that the people that have got their family now, they were able to bring home baby or weren't able to bring home baby and they've made that decision, um, they still advocate a lot, yeah. but what, like, how does it feel mm -hmm. after? Like, honestly, when, when the twins were born, yeah. how did you feel after? Like your journey with mm -hmm. that was done. Yeah, that's, uh, so the moment my twins were born, I remember the, a moment in the hospital. Um, and I mean, I had an easy pregnancy, an easy delivery. Um, and I just felt relief because I knew at that point my fertility journey was over. And there had been a very long period of time at that point, probably six years, maybe five years, six years for sure, um, where it was heavy. My husband and I were not on the same page all the time. It is really challenging on relationships. Um, there's that constant like month after month, I'm not pregnant, I'm not pregnant. And then you have a baby and then there's the secondary infertility, like I have to do this again and I should be thankful I have one. So there's a whole other guilt that, that is associated with it. So for many years, I lived with that, people live with that. And because I was in it all the time, because I was supporting other people mm -hmm. while I was going on my own journey, when I went on maternity leave, I wasn't sure I was gonna be able to come back because I was so burnt out from mm -hmm. the fertility. And then I remember being on maternity, like being on leave and just saying, holy smokes, I will, I can't give this up now. My journey is over and I have a voice and that isn't weighing me down anymore. And I will continue to advocate to ensure that people have the support, the education, the information they need to make educated decisions so that they feel like they have the information they need to know that the options are available to them. And eventually that, you know, Canada recognizes infertility or fertility as a disease for everybody who needs access to care and that we get a fertility strategy in place in this country. And so that's what we're working on next. Mm -hmm. So the relief was enormous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talking a little bit about that work that the organization has done over 30 years mm -hmm. plus now, but particularly I know in the last few years, you guys have made some great strides mm -hmm. in terms of what is available and what you know private companies are doing to support exactly. employees, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about where we stand with all that sure. right now. 
So we're seeing it definitely an uptake in uh, organizations across the country, globally really, supporting fertility and family building in the workplace. So uh, bigger companies, the top five banks for example, have all implemented fertility and family building benefits over the past sort of 18 months. And that's amazing because we there's so much data around it that so, shows that not only do you attract and retain young talent, um, those are the benefits that this younger generation is looking for, um, but also there is a huge amount of, like the impact on your mental health when you're diagnosed with infertility is comparable, and the research shows this, to a more significant health diagnosis such as cancer. And we don't treat it the same. And so if you're you know, for men who have male factor infertility, trying like activities of daily, daily living, the depression, the anxiety, um, it's hard and it impacts everything, including your employment. And so part of the mission of our organization is to ensure that all the stakeholders who can take a piece of the pie are actually educated on how they can alleviate that stress. So we're working with not only provincial and federal governments to look at the medical side, but also encouraging employers to implement fertility benefits. Um, the average cost of an IVF treatment in this country is $20,000. And that's paid upfront for the most part, out of pocket by a patient, and with no guarantee of a baby at the end. It's very expensive and many people need to do several rounds in order for them to take that baby home. And so if empl employers are seeing that, um, and they, they want to support women's health, family building, and it also is very supportive of a diversity and inclusion in the workplace. So supporting family building for members of the LGBTQ community um, in, your, in your organization. Single people, whether that's a female or a male, that's an amazing um, benefit that they're now, many employees are able to access. We still have a lot of work to do. Um, and we do have a, a campaign called Fertility Benefits Matter where we support um, employees to have that conversation with their employer or their insurance company. Um, and we help work with insurance companies and employers to educate them on why this makes sense. So you just said you have a, a, still a lot of steps to make and that made me think of the language that's used around. I can remember uh, we had a, a, took us six years to get pregnant with our first, and um, and then the in between, which is only two and a half years from birth to birth, it was when are you having another one? When are you having another one? These these are ridiculous questions that should never be never be asked because you don't know what people are going through. Um, do you find that language is changing? Like, is Fertility Matters Canada? Uh, educating people mm -hmm. more on, on, I don't know, the, the way to properly speak, if there is, or just be quiet and wait. That's right. <laughs> See what happens. Yeah. That's a great point. And it's a way that we can, you know, sort of, there's a, there is a shift happening. And I think with social media, so many more people are more vocal, especially on Instagram and TikTok, where you're able to kind of hide behind a bit of a handle. You're not, it's not sort of personal Facebook, I don't see it as much. Mm -hmm. um, we are seeing a shift and it's part of the language and the education that we do, especially through our social media channels. Um, but you're right, it's not appropriate, no matter who you are, to ask someone whether you don't know if they want to have children, whether they are struggling to have children. There's a whole slew of reasons. Uh, it's just not appropriate, so just don't ask. And it is challenging. 
Um, you know, you go to family gatherings, you're seeing baby announcements and baby showers. Um, so yes, there is a bit of a shift in how we see, but there's still some work to do. And it's just continuing to advocate and educate, really. We don't want to make people feel bad because they're not saying it to be no, no. malicious. It's just that they don't know. And the other thing I will say is that if you know someone is struggling, um, don't give unsolicited advice, the things like, oh, you need to go on vacation, you just need to relax, maybe you should put your feet in the air, it's God's will, all of those things are not helpful. No. So just ask your friend, like, listen, you can say, I, I, I haven't been there, I don't know, this is not my experience, but I am here for you. Um, you know, if they've experienced a miscarriage or a loss and you know the due date of the baby, maybe send them a text on that day to let them know you're thinking of them. There are little ways that you can be there for your friend um, without providing advice that's not really helpful mm -hmm. and can actually really be uh, hurtful. Yeah, that's so important. And I, I do think as a society, we seem to be getting better at all of that, but definitely like there's a lot of work to be done. Mm -hmm. Speaking of work to be done, I'm wondering where do things stand kind of in the realm of access to treatment mm. in Canada? Great question. So part of our, um, one of the biggest barriers to care, obviously, to treatment in Canada is the cost. There are seven Canadian provinces that do provide some type of financial support. All of the programs are different. Um, in New Brunswick, we have a one-time $5,000 grant, which is wonderful because many provinces don't have that. But, you know, when we consider that this is probably costing $20,000, dollars $60,000, it makes it inaccessible to patients from a fi financial perspective. But also, we live in a big country, and there are provinces that don't have fertility clinics wow. to even access. So PEI, for example, does not have a fertility specialist, and they do not have a fertility clinic. So they have to leave the island in order to get access. Wow. So when you're thinking about um, uh, equitable access across this country, if you're on a downtown street corner in Toronto, you have 20-ish clinics to choose from. And all of the best of the best of the best. Um, and Ontario actually funds an IVF cycle, so they have provincial funding that can help alleviate some of that for patients. So it's not equitable, and we really need to consider that as a country when we do want equitable access to all healthcare in, in the country. So. You know, if you're in Newfoundland, you can, you have two, there are two amazing fertility specialists there and a fertility clinic that provides some care, mm. but you can't do IVF, which is the most invasive type of treatment, but also the most effective and successful. So if you're in Gander, you need to fly. And so to another province that has a clinic. And so when you think of that access and the time off work, because this is not just, I go to the doctor, I get pregnant, I come home. It's weeks and months and years of your life and uh, makes it very challenging for people who don't, aren't close to a clinic to actually access the care that they really deserve. And what about people going overseas? Because you're seeing that sometimes now too. Yeah. Is it because it's more accessible or cheaper? Well, it depends. I mean, everybody's journey is different. Mm -hmm. So we have to remember it's healthcare and that what, what is right for you is not the same protocol that would be successful for me. Um, so people, some people choose to go overseas, you know, for people potentially who need uh, an embryo or an egg donor, 
Um, sometimes they do choose to go overseas, they make it a vacation, but we can access those things here on okay. Canadian soil as well. It's just um, sometimes, you know, if you're in Atlanta, Canada, and you need to do that, flying to Toronto to have all that done is just as expensive yep. as going to Prague. Right. So people make a decision based on a whole variety of things. Okay, okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, you could relax well in Prague and, and yes. enjoy. There's not a whole lot of relaxing that happens in Toronto. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was kind of wondering, um, you had mentioned earlier with the top five banks in Canada, et cetera, mm -hmm. that are adding these benefits in um, to kind of draw people mm -hmm. in to their work. Do you find younger people are getting on the trend with freezing eggs at a younger oh. age because they don't want you know, they want their families later in life? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So fertility preservation, um, egg freezing, is an incredibly important conversation. And it's really that younger generation of people with ovaries and eggs um, who can benefit. So there is a lot of work to be done, but there is an, um, there's an amazing swell of conversation online about young people. In fact, I just interviewed an amazing 25-year-old professional woman um, last week on our podcast and she chose to freeze her eggs but she didn't know about it so this is a woman who is working on her PhD in health education and didn't know that this was an option until she sat at dinner with her sister who's an M MD I'm a physician and asked her like what is your family planning what, what like what are you thinking about your future family um, she said maybe you should consider freezing your eggs because by the time this gal finishes school she's going to be in her mid-30s she wants to work for a bit and she said I didn't even know that was an option um, and she kind of went viral on social media a couple of weeks ago um, and it's really educate like there's an under education but it's an incredible option that young people and it that young people can access and it's more of an insurance policy it doesn't mean that just because you're going to freeze your eggs um, that you're going to need to use them. Right. You may go on and find a partner or are ready to start your family. Can you get pregnant and sort of like car insurance. I hate to, to you know, I don't, I, that kind of makes it sound a little, uh, but it's insurance. That's, insurance. that's, that's what the word insurance <laughs> yeah, really that's means. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. that safety net. That's of, right. This is an option. That's right. And so if more, uh, people with ovaries knew about it, I think that they would, um, I, I hear from people a lot that say, I wish I knew that because mm -hmm. there are people that end up getting to their early 30s who end up with an ovarian reserve issue and said, I wish someone had told me when I was 25 that it could have done this. Right. And so we really need to continue that education as part of curriculum within school and in universities. So super important for women especially. Absolutely. And also important is to let everyone know how they can access this information through your website, your podcast, tell everyone where to find all the information. Right, so we are Fertility Matters Canada. You can find us obviously through our website, fertilitymatters.ca, across all social media platforms, Fertility Matters or Fertility Canada on some of them. And our podcast is called Fertility and Focus across all uh, podcasts platforms yep anywhere you want to find it it's there so and it'll be in the show notes too yeah there yeah. we go yeah <laughs> we'll make it easy for you folks yeah. <laughs> excellent well thank you so much for coming in today oh, thanks so nice ladies to i really appreciate it